this is Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, a show unapologetically passionate about health and wellness innovation, enabling sustainability, equity, and access for a healthier tomorrow. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and global thought leader Gil Bash, we feature thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, the executive producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage industry talent who share their insights and best practices to enable the transformation. On today's show, our guest is Bruno Larvol, founder and CEO at Larvol, a VR-first remote always organization providing SaaS solutions to 15 Fortune 500 healthcare and pharmaceutical companies. Since 2004, Larvol has accelerated decision-making via real-time customized intelligence and software solutions with data-driven analytics to the most prominent pharmaceutical, biotech, and healthcare companies in the world. Bruno is a uniquely insightful executive and entrepreneur walking the talk of iterative, distributive, team-based learning and is both an advocate and innovator for real-world applications in the metaverse. And with that abbreviated introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, thank you once again for the gracious introduction, and thank you so much for serving as an amazing executive producer for Health Unabashed. I also want to remind our listeners to visit you and listen to your show on Pop Health Week with Fred. It's an amazing show, two masters, no pun intended, but it seemed suitable, um, masters in the area of, of population health and, 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 um, and really public health. And it's a great program to listen. We have a great guest today. Uh, I know that because actually I had the privilege of being on Bruno Larvol's own program. He invited me to be on his podcast program. It was fantastic. We spent about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes together. And in the conversation, and it was a fast action exchange. I was just amazed. And I sort of said at the end of the show, I said, uh, hey, Bruno, I was thrilled to be on your program but would you uh, do me the favor by being on mine? And he said, you got it. He also sent me, by the way, everybody, some amazing swag. So um, I have to say, I'm wearing right now the Larvol official mascot hat, the Tigress. And uh, I, and Bruno's going to tell us exactly the real name of their mascot. Bruno, it's... It's a tie for Semper Tigress, uh, always a tiger, which is our... Uh, our motto. And so that very friendly looking tiger is our, I don't know if I should say mascot. That sounds diminutive. It's our, it's, it's our spirit animal. And we loved, we love Thai. We love this tiger. So, so what I was really fascinated when I was speaking with you last time, and you're the founder and CEO of Laval, you're, you're doing some incredible work that in the area of, of drug discovery and development, we often don't think about. You're actually opening the door to the metaverse for pharmaceutical companies around the world. And and we joked around, probably you'll see some pictures promoting this episode of you and I wearing our virtual reality glasses, um, uh, which we both use. You use them for a very different reason than I use them. And we're going to get into that. But you've, you've got about 150 people around the world who are working with you in exploring the cutting edge of science. And I could you just spend a few moments talking about the genesis of Laval and, and what you're doing today to really work with some of your partners? 
I started my career with uh, IBM uh, in New York City. And at the time, we were working on um, what was called Deep Blue. It wasn't called Watson uh, yet. And uh, I was being fascinated by the intersection of data and, uh, and healthcare and innovation. So I started a company, uh, Larvol, and we grew over the years to 150 people, as you said. Our, our objective is to serve healthcare, but in particular, the, the pharmaceutical side and the drug discovery and, and medical research part uh, with data and software. So we are, we are a little bit like a, a Bloomberg and uh, between a Bloomberg and a Microsoft supporting many things that pharmaceutical companies um, have to do, sometimes having to do with clinical trial data, sometimes having to do with the support of medical affairs, uh, sometimes also competitive um, intelligence. So anything that has to do with, with data and software in healthcare, in particular when it involved uh, something uh, boring behind it. We love uh, when there's boring data um, that needs to be taken care of. And frankly, often nobody wants to take care of the boring data. We have to be very careful. A lot of our, our listeners are from the drug development sector and data is exciting. And data, as you know quite well, opens the doors to saving lives. You know, uh, you know I, I've been in the, um, in the forefront talking about why it's possible to develop vaccines or inoculations that help reduce the severity of COVID. And, and, and people sometimes come back at me and they say, how is it possible that we could develop a product to reduce severity of COVID in only 13 months? It took us like five years to develop the mumps vaccine. And, and now we're compressing it down to 13 months. That's an impossibility. And, you know, I explained that, you know, the data the, the, our ability to analyze data today compared to 1965 when the mumps vaccine actually was introduced. This is two different universes right now. I was in Israel all last week speaking, and almost every company that I was meeting with was talking to me about their AI information generator. I'd love to get your perspective on this because what you're doing is is accelerating insight. You're taking, quote, boring data and bring it to life in many cases in 3D. Talk a little bit about that experience of the work with companies. I want to talk about that. Before I have a comment about the, the vaccine timeline you, you mentioned, I know you spent some time in, in the army and, and you might have heard that during wartime, you could train a physician in six months. They, they would train physicians very, very, or surgeons very, very quickly. And so sometimes when you have to do it is when innovation takes place. And to your point, I think that's how the M mRNA technology that took so long to come ca came so quickly with COVID. And one more point about the uh, AI that you that you mentioned. AI, of course, has been always the technology of tomorrow that would continue to be the technology of tomorrow for 40 years, pretty much, until the, the GPU arrived, the technology, there was really no new technology, but all of a sudden, AI became blossomed into an incredible thing. And you and I have tried now ChatGPT. Uh, this morning, I got ChatGPT on my phone and I said, uh, ChatGPT, write a poem about Larvol. And it did, and it was incredible. It was really incredible. It was a very beautiful poem. And then I said, make a joke. But the jokes, it didn't do so well. It, it, it had a tough time being funny. Uh, it wasn't funny. But so technology is accelerating. And the question about the metaverse, about virtual reality for us started with data visualization because boring data 
And when I said I love boring, it's it's not quite true. And I know it's not boring. It's apparently boring for a lot of people. It's it's actually fascinating data to me and to our team. So we wanted to visualize the data in 3D, in particular cancer data, and visualizing the link between all of these mutations, all of the mechanism of actions and drugs, and all of these tumor types, right? So that's a 3D dimension. And so we teamed up with a, a group at uh, Caltech, and we started to uh, use virtual reality to navigate a cloud of data to try to find patterns. Beautiful. It was an incredible experience. We didn't find any pattern. That didn't work. That experiment didn't work yet. Uh, it will work, but for us, it didn't work. But something very interesting happened from that failure, and it's that we realized that we spent uh, so many years without an office. We would never meet. I worked for 13 years with my VP and never met her a single time. So we were proud of never meeting and saying you can create a culture, camaraderie, relationship, trust without meeting in person. And then we realized that something had been missing and that virtual reality bring back the proximity in our team, the shared experience, the empathy. And so because of that, the metaverse and virtual reality had a very big impact on who we are. And now we all have virtual reality headset, and except for a very short call of 15 minutes, otherwise, all of our meetings are with a headset on in our virtual office. So again, sort of unintended consequences of, of, of what's happening in our lives and in, and in business, Gil. You know, it's fascinating for me to hear about the failure. And you've talked about this before when we were speaking on your program. You, you talked about how Lavolt was, was, and to some extent, its, its first big ambitious effort failed. And right now on Health Unabashed, there's a guest, um, Craig Lipsit, who really is one of the pioneers in remote uh, clinical trials, what's called decentralized clinical trials today. He's really the the, the pioneer, he created a trial that was published in peer review called Remote when he was at Pfizer. The trial failed. The, the drug worked, but the trial design failed. And from that failure, he actually conceptualized and is a leading voice on how decentralized trials should and can and do work. And I, I'm wondering if we don't give enough credit to failure. Um, you know, I think people sometimes say it failed, therefore we dismiss you, you have an interesting personality. Watson, obviously, you talked about that, kind of over-promised and under-delivered. Your first work in Laval, you, you had a concept. It didn't play out as expected. As a leader, obviously, you have a long-term vision, but I'd, I'd love to get your snapshot on uh, failure and science. Are we, are we too obsessed with success? And as a result of that, we play so close to the vest that we don't allow innovation to really explore the fullest possibility. In other words, we don't want to go to our bosses and say, it was a great experiment, it was a great investment, it failed, and, and from here we can go. Uh, so you you lead a company now, 150 people. I think you're working with, I, I could have this wrong, close to 50 biopharmaceutical companies around the world in uh, in drug development. What's your thought about failing? I'm I'm fortunate in some ways. I um I wasn't able to raise investment when I started uh, my company, 
And so I had to, so you could say that's a failure. And because of that, I was able to build the company that is the right company for me. It's a little bit like, imagine you have certain ways, certain physical style, or even perhaps limitations, and you build a core around you, right? The core that fits your preference, your skills, and so on. And so if you build a company over a long period of time without investors, you build exactly the perfect core for you. And so that that freedom coming also from, uh, you know, a failure has been wonderful. And I'm a very creative person, which means that, uh, and, I, and I realized over the years that uh, by nature, anybody creative uh, means that they, they mostly fail. Most of, I tell my team right now, my, guys, most of my ideas are bad ideas. And, and that's normal. Someone creative, most of the ideas are bad. But as I got older, I became faster and, and accepting to the fact that they, they, most of them are going to fail. I just don't know when. And then a few beautiful ideas are going to unexpectedly become, become really, really successful. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Bruno Larbol, founder and CEO at Larbol, a VR-first, remote-always organization providing SaaS solutions to 15 Fortune 500 healthcare and pharmaceutical companies. Well, you know, people like Thomas Edison, who really were breakthrough inventors, the, the light bulb, of course, he failed more than 200 times until he got a, a light bulb to work. And and they asked him about that. He said, uh, you know, I, I found out 200 plus times what doesn't work until I you know could get to what, what does work. And he kept a log. But I want to speak to you now about successes because the, the drug development industry is driven to succeed in order to sustain and save lives. We've seen this during the COVID period. We see this with many serious illnesses. Now, we tend to look know, after the fact and complain, but we kind of have forgotten more than two years ago, our ERs were full. We had refrigerator trucks outside of hospitals to store tragically bodies for burial. And now, of course, ERs are not filled with COVID patients. Now we have a whole series of complaints about innovation. Is it safe? Is it not safe? We forget the horrid past. We look at the moment to complain. And I'd love to get your take as someone who's at the forefront of innovation. You know, how do you explain to your your clients or future clients who are not aware of the technologies you're using? And I'd like you to talk a little bit about the the, the approach and the technologies. How do you explain to them how you deploy these technologies and, and how they help hone the approach that they're taking in drug development? Well, what I like to tell my my client initially is what I call that the, the rule of ten, and in in drug discovery, because I always love uh, discovering new drugs has been fascinating to me uh, for my whole life. With rule of ten, one out of ten makes it from the lab to clinical trials. One out of ten makes it from clinical trials to the market, and it takes ten years normally. So these odds are certainly daunting and many very successful drug discoverers don't have a single molecule in their career that makes it to the market, but they're still very successful, considered very good. So there is a, a grittiness in our industry and acceptance of 
how tough the odds are. And so for us as a company, we want to help that. And we feel, and that has been the history of our company, that uh, the secret is in the data. Is that in other words, if you take care of data, if you organize data, if you love data, the data is going to love you back. It's going to teach you something, not every time, but enough time that you're going to accelerate that engine towards finding new drugs to all of the terrible diseases that affects uh, us and our family. So to me, it's a little bit like the, the, the joke, talk data to me, right? So data is trying to talk to us. Sometimes we have to poke it, uh, nudge it. Some people say torture the data, but I wouldn't use that, that image. But we have, to, we have to pinch the data and then the data talks, right? And that's what we're interested in. You know, so so you you know you and I were joking around earlier before you know we went on radio our VR virtual reality headsets and you know you mentioned that you you get together with your staff with your clients n- not around the table not in a conference room they don't fly to San Francisco where where you're headquartered or or, or I think you were in France last week on a holiday it looked like but you get together often in virtual reality. That's unusual. Now we talk about that. We've certainly seen the movie Avatar and things of that nature. Can you share with us the experience of what it's like to put on a headset and either look at information or connect with a business community together? You do that every day. That's how you that's how you live. But for us, we're still used to this kind of like Zoom world. And you're in a different world. Talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, in, in in our customers, uh, the pharma companies are also very interested in this. So we're using it amongst ourselves, but there's a lot of interest uh, from pharmaceutical firms also to use it, for example, to organize um, advisory board with physicians who on Zoom, as you know, would maybe turn the camera off or multitask uh, and so on and so forth. So we, we're looking at virtual reality both internally but also externally. So for, for me, the, the unexpected learning about virtual reality is that as human, we care about proximity. And Zoom doesn't create the real proximity that you, we want to feel really connected with someone. This is why you fly for 12 hours to go to Israel for a day or two, right? Because it's not the same, the connection, the immersion, the the trust, the sense of human connection is not the same. And also, shared experience required a shared space. You need to you need to be sitting there. I always remember the day I was in Israel and I visited the old city and the rumors, the first time I had rumors, was, it was amazing, right? You remember things based on the space. Zoom doesn't create that shared memory. And so what we realize in our company is that in order to feel connected to each other, in order to have a culture that continues to evolve, we need to feel connected. And even if it's not perfect, being next or on a virtual beach and working and walking what my avatar get next to your avatar on the beach creates a connection. And looking at things together, looking at each other, giving each other a high five, create a connection that Zoom cannot create. So let me play with that. Let's let's say a client, pharmaceutical company, reaches out to you. Obviously, you're you're doing some great things around the world, and they want to understand the experience. So part of what you're doing is you're you're helping bring together innovation teams 
in in one reality. That's one part of your business. The other part of your business is you're helping them see vital data in ways they would never be able to conceive it. You're you're creating dimension to information, which you know often I look at information and I um, I see patterns. That's sort of a skill set. I I have pattern recognition skills, and they're they're developed by my brain, and I apply those. It's a gift, and I'm grateful for it. You're actually enabling people to do that virtually, artificially, or or you know you're aggregating their brain power through technology and information. Share with us a little bit about how you explain that experience to a major pharmaceutical company that's used to generating tons of data and studying that data and looking for patterns via computer. And you say, let's visualize the data. Let's see the data in a format you've never seen it before. When they invite you in and you explain it, mind sharing with us what their initial reaction might be? Certainly. So we we had um, a few experiences like this where uh, our customers got very excited about organizing scientific meetings in virtual reality. And we did a few pilots. Uh, And the pilots often were between pharma companies and their advisors. So what the pharma company were most interested in, in our case, was to say, okay, let's have a a team of uh, 15 or so, or 10, 10, 15 health experts, usually key opinion leaders, as we call them in, in the pharma industry, and discussing a scientific topic. And the value for them was that, first, there is the idea of presence. If you have a headset on, you have to be present. You have to be present. You're immersed. You cannot multitask. And I'm all about multitasking. I tell my team, never do two things at the same time, minimum three. So I'm the worst at multitasking. But when you have the headset on, you cannot multitask. So the interest of pharma was to prevent people from multitasking and to be really present and immersed in that space. And second, to your point, it was to look at the data in a different way because the limitation of of a page, it's very flat, it's very small, you cannot see a lot of data. But if you start to navigate inside the data, and you mentioned, of course, pattern recognition, uh, uh, most of the data is not two-dimensional. It's three, it's four, it's five, it's not two-dimensional. So at least if you're in 3D and you can navigate inside the data, it gives you a very different appreciation and a way to, to recognize uh, to recognize pattern. I will add one thing to it, though, which is that we are still very early. We were joking about the, the, the Newton and the Palm Pilot and the evolution of smartphone until, of course, um, iPhone came and iPhone 4. Remember this one? You have the Newton there on the screen. So where are we here in terms of using virtual reality for, oh, and the Palm Pilot, very nice. And, or, and then that's when then the BlackBerry, uh, that's right, right? I- incredible. And so um, I think we are closer than most people think. Right now, people are in the mode of making fun of the metaverse. It went from being very hot a year ago, a year and a half ago, to being, oh, there's nobody there. It's just cartoons. People are starting to misbehave. It's going to be like second life. Well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to jump in, you know, our time wraps up in a few moments. I'm just going to jump in and say, you know, I I think that when we saw uh, that, I guess it was a Disney movie, I know, called Avatar, it was a big hit. And, you know, we sort of were fascinated by it as an animated movie. 
but but I think there was a lot of truism in there that you know you you saw people coexisting in realities as an avatar to your point conversing and speaking on the beach about science and then in real life being in in their their laboratories or rooms uh, I think that sometimes fantasy is are trying to reach toward reality um and that's really key so you know one last really quick question for you we've got a minute left uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you you're you're a visionary you 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 see that you you've been to the past you've seen it stumble you you're not frightened to stumble could you share with us really quickly in your in your viewpoint what's the next thing that's going to happen big in the area of ar and vr what's the next big thing are we going to going to see that's going to be like this is happening so um what i like about you your show is that it's always positive and optimistic uh, but in a not in a simplistic way and you you acknowledge the complexities of, of the world healthcare in particular but but you always have a very positive and optimistic view what i'm going to uh, say about ar and vr might not sound uh, immediately optimistic but but it is i believe that we're going to move inside the metaverse and that our kids, our grandkids, are going to spend a, a lot of their life in that digital world. And to us, it sounds a little scary. And in my view, it's normal to be scared and probably healthy, but I believe that it's inevitable and that our humanity is going to be transformed because we're going to, it's like touching the monolith in 2001. We are now moving inside the machine. We are going to be inside the simulation. We we moved it on our own accord, and maybe one day we'll forget that we're inside the machine. So I, I know I'm I'm writing science fiction here like a chat GPT, but I think you're prophetic, my friend. I that's why you're on the program. I love speaking with you when I was on your show. I said we've got to continue this conversation. Thank you so much for joining Greg and myself on Health Unabashed. Here's to it. Uh, I recommend everybody. Follow Bruno Lavol and his company. They're on Twitter. They're on LinkedIn. Follow these folks. They're at the cutting edge of where science is going. Thank you, Bruno, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that is a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guest, Bruno Larvol, founder and CEO at Larvol. That's L-A-R-V-O-L, a VR first remote always organization providing SaaS solutions to 15 Fortune 500 healthcare and pharmaceutical companies. Do follow Bruno's work at Larvol on Twitter via at Larvol and at RXXO, respectively, and on the web via www.larvol.com. Learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at Healthcare Now Radio. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and at Greg Masters, and that's Greg with two Gs, and do remember to tag your tweets with Health Unabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health. <laughs>